So today we are going to begin a brand new series for this month of July. Really excited to be able to share this word with you today. And we're going to base um, this month of July, this entire teaching on an encounter that Jesus had with some religious leaders of his day. And so for these next four weeks, what I want to talk to you about is pretty ugly people. Pretty ugly people. So much of the early gospel account that we read about Jesus' ministry is that for some of these encounters that he had with these religious leaders of his time is that they didn't really want to walk into a learning debate session with him, but they wanted to take his teachings and twist them, that they were looking for grounds to discredit him and ultimately have him banished or even killed as a heretic. And so when we read through a lot of the gospel accounts of these interactions between some of these groups and Jesus, we understand that they were very very struggling, very uh, agitated events that were taking place. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. So if you want to jump on the app, a lot of that information is going to be there. If you have your Bibles, that we're going to base this out of this experience that takes place in Mark chapter 7. And so this debate happens from these religious leaders come at Jesus on this one particular event. And although the the debate starts from a teaching that is about some outside stuff, Jesus very quickly makes it a matter of the hearts. And this is what we read in Mark chapter 7. So not only were the religious leaders there, but this was happening in a very public arena, And so Jesus says to the crowd, listen to me, every one of you that are here, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, after the crowd left, he entered a house, and his disciples came up to him and asked him about this parable. And Jesus said, are you so dull, right? What's wrong with you? He said, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go, but he went on and said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart. So there's a little bit of backstory to this to help you about what Jesus is talking, not only to the crowd, but to his disciples in this moment. And it goes back to, again, there's this public arena. Jesus goes into the marketplace, and the religious leaders are just kind of hanging back, again, waiting for the opportunity to twist what Jesus' ministry is all about. And so here's the, the deal. They come to Jesus, and they said, some of your disciples are eating food without washing their hands, and they're defiling themselves. They're not washing their hands, and so that's a big no-no, not just in the sense of, of sanitary conditions, but they were also talking about from a religious position, that they made a big deal about all the posturing that they did in front of people, and to do this ceremonial hand-washing and cleaning of all of this stuff in front of the people was part of the act, was part of the tradition that, that they were so logged into. And so the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. They are holding to the tradition of the elders. This is verse 3 and 4 of Mark chapter 7. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So obviously we get kind of really to the heart of the matter of realizing that sometimes there is an outside persona that we want to live with, and yet Jesus was bypassing that all to say, listen, I'm not as interested about the outside as much as I'm really concerned about the inside. And so this was Jesus' response to the religious leaders who were kind of flagging Jesus of why his disciples weren't washing their hands ceremonially as they were going to the marketplace and they were buying food or talking with people. And Jesus said this in verse number six, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. How many of you can just say like mic drop at that moment, right? Jesus said, all right, like if you want to get to the heart of the matter, then let's call it for what it is. So let's go back. Isaiah had you guys targeted 500 years ago. Those of you that are so concerned about all the outside stuff and you're totally missing what I'm all about, what the real message of the gospel is all about. And Jesus called them out. He called them hypocrites. And here's what he said. For these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you want to cling to human traditions. So this month, I want to challenge all of our hearts this morning. I want to see really what is working, what is exposed in all of our hearts. I want to see where we struggle. I want to expose what's going on inside of us. Things like anger, jealousy, envy, insecurities, guilt, fear, greed. I think a lot of things that sometimes we don't often talk about in church. Kind of some reflective things that there are maybe some things that just looking on you on the outside, that no one would know that there's always a boiling cauldron inside of you, that you are an angry person. Maybe you struggle in the idea with greed and and this idea of never feeling content, and you all look good to me on Sunday morning, and yet inside you battle issues like this all the time, fear, greed, jealousy, We read about it in the Bible, but you've probably rarely heard any pastor ever talk to you about jealousy or about envy up until now. So how many know what a hypocrite is? Come on, let me see your hands today. How many know what a hypocrite is? Okay? So let me ask you a second question this morning. How many of you have ever been a hypocrite? Come on, let me see. Oh, wow, some brave souls, right? Yeah, we kind of know what it is, and we're really good at calling out other people for their hypocrisy, but yet it's very hard for us to look at our own hearts. It's very hard for us to figure out that some of these struggles, some of this lifestyle is in me as well. If you've ever been to the theater on most playbills, you'll see this image. So it's kind of the comedy and tragedy. It's the idea of masks. And it goes back all the way to kind of the Roman and Greek times of old. In ancient Greece, 
Usually there were three actors that played all of the speaking roles in the play. It was known as the three-actor rule. And by changing masks and wigs, they could transform into had to do a new character within seconds. That's the way the, the early arts had to do it. A hypocrite is a person who claims or pretends to have certain beliefs about what is right, but who behaves in a way that disagrees with those beliefs. If we go back to the original, the Greek word hypocrites, it means an actor who is playing a part, a pretender. And I want to challenge every one of us in these next couple of weeks, where are the areas that I tend to be an actor, that I tend to be a pretender? Listen, it's a hard word, but let's just call it for what it is, where I'm a hypocrite. Where I dress myself up on the outside so that rarely does anybody know, but I'm living another life. I'm playing a part outwardly, but my heart is struggling with a lot of things. If we can be honest this morning, the outside matters to most of us. Being pretty on the outside is a $49 billion a year industry here in the United States alone. One study tells us that American women spend on average $3,756 a year on beauty products and services. I would imagine most guys spend a lot less than that. You see, we spend a lot of time money, and energy, keeping the outside looking good. But our question in this series is going to be, how much are we spending on the insides? What is our investment that keeps us from being a hypocrite, that stops us from playing the part? When we can truly be real, where the words and the life walk hand in hand. And so today I want to help us to understand this whole character issue of jealousy and envy. The Greek word for envy, it's pretty interesting. It's a word that means to boil within. That's where its roots come from. And the Bible is full of challenges for those of us as Christ followers with this idea of envy and jealousy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul addresses an entire church, all of the Corinthians, about this whole idea of their envy. He says this, for you are still carnal. For those of you that might be new in church, that kind of a lot of deviation that we read about in the Bible was between what was carnal and what was spiritual, what was of human flesh and what was godly or spiritual. And so Paul writes to this church that he planted, these Corinthians, and said, listen, you call yourself a church, but I call you carnal. You're all dressed up and you look good, but you're unspiritual on the inside. You have envy and jealousy that is wreaking havoc inside the church. You are still carnal, he said, for where there is envy and strife and division among you, are you not carnally behaving simply like mere men? Paul says, you're hypocrites. 
What was happening in the church was that they were dividing up into little cliques, and then they became envious of one another. And the envy began to feed as it does, and then drive jealousy into their midst to the point where it was destroying the unity of the church. And Paul was scorning them for their evil attitudes. He wasn't patty-caking it. It wasn't kind of a soft glove. It was kind of a punch right in the guts. What is my take on jealousy and envy? Well, sometimes we seem to use the words uh, as they're interchangeable, but they're different. So let me help you to get a perspective today on what the Bible talks about jealousy and envy. Envy stands at the bottom of the pile, breathing ill will at everyone who is just above them. Whereas jealousy is afraid that what it owns will be taken away by somebody else. Envy begins with empty hands mourning its lack, enjoying when others lose theirs. Jealousy begins with hands full, fearful of losing what it already has. Envy is sneaky and subtle. Jealousy is coarse and cruel. Envy is forever reaching and longing. Jealousy clutches and smothers. Here's a couple of things I think that are important for us to know. You see, jealousy travels in profit. It, it follows a pretty defined rotation. You see, where you find jealousy, you'll also find it along with people's possessions. And what I mean by that, when people have possessions, whatever it is, whether of great wealth or wherever it fits, Whenever they have a lot of stuff, they oftentimes are jealous about those that are in their same circle. Let me give you some biblical examples today. In Genesis chapter 26, Abraham's son, the, the cherished son, the promised son, Isaac, was blessed by God. And the Bible says this, this man began to prosper. And he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. How many think that's a pretty good tagline, right? I wish that could be my life, right? Not only was I prospering, but I continued to prosper, and I prospered very much. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and had a great number of servants. And with that, the Philistines envied him. You see, no matter kind of where you rank on the scale, you're always kind of jealous and envious for those that are around you on the same scale. Basically, I became rich. He had a lot of stuff. And here's the crazy thing. Jealousy often travels in circles of those who have gained much, even accrued much, but they always have their eye on others who have just a little bit more than they do. I mean, you would think, here's this heart issue, that at some point, enough would be enough, but how many know that's rarely ever true? Come on, say yes. You would think, we've all said, man, I need a raise, I need a raise. If I had that raise, I'd have so much extra money, and somewhere along your career, you got that extra money, and within a short amount of time, you realize I'm just as much in debt now as I used to be when I had that salary. Somebody say, groan, moan, yell, whatever, right? 
Because you think once I have more, that'll be enough. But the heart of man, the nature of us, is that we're never satisfied with what we have. We're always trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're always seeing people that are kind of in our have looking and strategizing somehow. How do I top them? How do I get more than they have. Listen, I am not slamming people who have money, but I am challenging all of us wondering, does money have us? John D. Rockefeller was once quoted, at one time, he was the richest man on the planet in the early 20th century. And they asked him the question, when will you have enough? And his response was earth-chilling to say the least. He said, when I have just a little bit more. Jeff Bezos necessarily can't relate. We see these salaries of Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and these millions and billions of dollars. But I want you to get the dichotomy of those that you think that have it all, that they're completely satisfied, and yet history will tell us over and over again, people that are simply going after wealth are never satisfied. When this guy builds a $100 million yacht, this guy's going to build a $200 million yacht. Not because he needs it, but because he's jealous that he has to one-up. And some of you think, well, yeah, Pastor Jim, that just stays in the stratosphere of the super wealthy, but the Bible doesn't teach us that. The Bible says that that's an infection that happens to every single one of us. If you're a student of history, you would realize that a lot of these financial giants of that time age, they were ruthlessly out for one another. Guys like J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, George Westinghouse. You see, we don't get jealous once we have wealth. We always have it. It's always something that is waiting to leap into our heart. It's part of this nature. Jealousy not only travels around profit, but it travels in power as well. Early in the Bible, we read that Miriam, Aaron, Korah, those that were the supporting crew around Moses, who God was using to help lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. It says that they envied his leadership. You see, sometimes it's not always about money, but sometimes it's around people. Why did they get this? Who put them? How did this happen? Why, why didn't it happen to me? Listen, you'll never notice it on the outside. We dress up really well. We're pretty. But yet there's some ugly things that are potentially happening in our hearts. They said to Moses, listen, you, you take too much on yourself. Like, you need to share the load. Where when you read the narrative of the story, they weren't looking to make Moses' job any easier. They were looking for a cut of the pie for themselves. If you read through the book of Kings and Chronicles, you're going to see, listen, story after story after story of those kings who tried to raise themselves in power, to gain their power, many of the times through treacherous acts, usurping the power of their power. All of the shady things, all of the treachery, all of the acts that they did to get themselves in the throne, it didn't take but very long for somebody else to do there is great jealousy among the powerful. A person in a position in the business world, he maybe gains certain dominance over which he is responsible, but he is never happy because there's someone he knows that has more people working for them, someone who has a little bit more responsibility than he does. 
that gains a little more salary. He is so jealous of someone else. And let me just kind of drop a truth bomb on you this morning. That doesn't just happen in the business world. It happens in the church world too. Last week, we, a few weeks ago, we talked about it's kind of the famous story, right, that David comes to the battlefield and he volunteers to go down and fight Goliath, this big warrior giant, and he slays the big giant. He cuts his head off and he comes back and reports that this guy who has caused havoc in Israel for all these days, that God had allowed him to take him down. And as David was now coming back to report of the big success and the victory that it had, the Bible says that the maidens of Israel were singing a song that Saul, the sitting king, that Saul had killed his thousands, but now this young, strong, vibrant warrior, this young boy David, king-elect, this boy David is killing his tens of thousands. You think Saul was good. Man, David, he's a hundred times better than this guy. And when we continue to read the Old Testament narrative that, Paul, that Saul spent the rest of his life tracking down David in an attempt to kill him out of the anger and jealousy that was in his heart. How dare this young guy usurp all of this praise and adoration that should respectfully and rightfully be coming to me. I don't know if you've ever heard this in church. It probably doesn't happen here, but probably happens in a lot of other churches around the world. Why did they get recognized and I didn't? Why did she get the solo and I didn't? I'm a way better singer than she is. Why does this ministry get all the press? Why are they talking about this ministry and they never say anything about anything that we do in the church? Why wasn't I chosen for the leadership team? Why did they choose him? Why, why is she doing this? Listen, I know that never happens here. But it happens in the church. It doesn't happen anymore, but years ago, I don't know if it was on a monthly or maybe on a quarterly basis that we would get a letter from our district office and usually the whole back half page were all of the district stats that happened, whether for the month or the quarter, whatever it was. And it involved church attendance and missions giving and overall giving and all this kind of stuff. And they were always listed 1 through 10 or 1 through 20 or whatever. And boy, when we got those envelopes, the first thing everybody wanted to do was open it up and find out what? Where did we rank? How good are we or who's beating us? And it often discouraged a lot of people because there were a lot of big churches or they had a lot of extra help. All, all we're producing, all we're pumping out is this list of top 10. Who's the best? Who's the biggest? Who can do this? Who raises the most money? And, and maybe 15 or 20 years ago, our district leadership said, listen, this isn't, like, this isn't accomplishing what we want to accomplish. It's People are getting jealous and envious, and so they just took it away. So now our papers show up, and none of that is listed. Why? Because it was causing a lot of angst within people, because it's in the church as well. We have this desire to somehow not only compete, but to get our name ranked higher than someone else. I'm going to talk more about that 
in just a minute. You see, we can be, even in the church, pretty ugly people. I find that sometimes jealousy runs in people groups. And probably this is where we see it most if we get really honest about digging for this in the Bible. Jealousy comes into our families and destroys even our own family fellowship. It's probably been in your family, in your own personal family. There's probably been sister-sister jealousy rivalry, maybe brother-brother rivalry, and it's gotten ugly. Maybe it's between different married couples within families, like why does everybody do this and this for this? Why, why don't they ever talk about my kids? Why don't they ever? Why? And, and there's just this, not only within our own personal family, this, these things that can settle in our hearts. And I'm here that maybe some of you are thinking, you're saying, oh, Pastor Jim, come on, is, is it really a big deal? Just hold on. Some of you don't have good relationships with your family because, listen, if we're just honest about it, because there's a seed of jealousy and envy that's existing. And it happens in people. It happens within families. And I guess what I want to say to you here at Real Life today is, like, there's a real potential that it happens in our family. Yes? Like, if, if we don't understand this, if we're not going to take time to explain this, we're, we're all going to come in all pretty on the outside, but like, I don't know what your conversations are like in your home. I don't know what it is like in little corners, in the church. Like, you don't want to follow the right path, but boy, we're really good at just like listening for the little tidbits in the gossip. Like, hey, did you hear? Did you know? And that's what Paul was talking about to the Corinthian church. You allow little conversations to think that they were no big deal turn into a massive issue that literally is destroying the church. And I'm not here to praise you for it. I'm here to scold you about it. It's wrong. In the Bible, we see that jealous of his brother, we know that story. The story of Ishmael and Isaac, this cherished son, right? This promise that was coming to Abraham. Abraham kind of kind of fudged that up at the beginning and had a son, and, and they became constant rivals the rest of their life. You'll remember at birth, we discovered that Jacob and Esau were going to live a life of jealousy against one another for the rest of their days. In the New Testament, there's a story of the prodigal son. I would imagine that most everybody here is probably familiar at some point with that story. And we get so wrapped up in that story of this son, right, that, that, that disregarded his father, disrespected his father, took all of his inheritance, all of his money and rent, and went on wildest living, and spent all of it and lost it, and ended up living in a pig pen, and then came to his senses. And to know, we love the story of this father that waited at the end of the road, and we really proclaim the story that no matter how lost we are, that if we come to our senses, that there is a Father that is wanting to take us back and bring us back in, and how glorious and wonder, but there is a disastrous side to that story as well, that what? Never gets talked about. In fact, if I ask you about the prodigal son story, that's the only son that most of you will ever talk about, but how many know the story talks about another son? Yes? And this is what he said. Lo, these many years I have been serving you, Father. I never once transgressed your command at any time. 
I have been your faithful son. I have done everything that is right. I didn't do anything like that young son of yours has done. But you never, you never killed a young goat for me so that I could have a party with my friends. Hello? In fact, some Bible scholars will tell you that the true message of the prodigal son story is not the prodigal son, but the elder son story. That's really what needs to hit us. And how guilty have we been? Maybe some of us have been the prodigal son. But maybe I'm here to say there's probably been a lot of us at some point in our life that have been the elder son. Oh, you might think he's the hidden part of the story, but that's what jealousy is all about. Jealousy loves the shadows. Jealousy doesn't love it when it's all talked about on the platform. He likes to talk about it in the hallways. He likes to talk about it over the phone when no one else can hear what I have to say. Maybe you remember the story about Joseph and his brothers. They were going to kill him because they were what? Jealous of him. But at the last minute, he was sold into slavery. And then they went and told their father, who was late in life, that his young son was killed by wild animals. And that father lived the most of the rest of his life thinking that his baby boy was ripped apart by wild animals. And those boys kept that story alive for decades. You see, he walks out the back door. What is the antidote to jealousy and envy? As much as it is a part of maybe our nature, how much more do we need to know what I will tell you as the agape love of God? That which goes beyond ourself that reaches out to people no matter the situation or the circumstance. So let me just say this and let it sink into you this morning. You see, when it comes to jealousy, I'm not jealous of professional wrestlers. I'm not jealous of painters. I'm not jealous of plumbers or even bank presidents who make millions of dollars. Doesn't bother me at all because I tend to be jealous with people that run in circles where I live. And guess what? So do you. If you want a place to start You see, I don't really care about plumbers or painters or bank presidents. They're all great people, and it's all great things. But you know what probably catches a little snag of my jealousy? Our other church leaders. Can I be honest with you today? I'm not saying that it is or it isn't an issue. I'm just telling you, like, where my zone is. Like, where my challenge is, if I hear a guy that... Man's having great church success, or somebody tells me, oh, Pastor Jim, you should hear what's happening in this church. You know, like sometimes I'd be, oh, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm really happy for what's going on there. But inside, I have the potential, hello, not to be happy about that. Wow, you have a pastor that's being honest with you today, right? But guess what? So do you, right? Moms, when you hear about some of the mom's kids whose kids are excelling, who go to this school and they're, they're getting the, the, the prized 
part in the play, and they're telling you how their child was chosen and how blessed they are, and you're just like, oh, that's so wonderful. I'm so happy for you. Your kids are so wonderful, and your moms inside are just the claws are coming out, <laughs> like the Wolverine mom. Somebody say amen with me today, right? Like, listen, I don't... Uh. See, we can, most of the time when we think about envy and jealousy, we, we kind of just think about those big things that most of the time never affect us, right? Yeah, I mean, Bill Gates and Bezos, I mean, they've got billions of, like, and that's just never going to, can I be with myself? Because I am jealous. Because I can be envious. I think I've heard my whole ministry career that the church is full of hypocrites. Well, listen, we're not full of hypocrites, but there are hypocrites here. There's a time and there are moments, and I don't know that any of us are proud about it, that I can be a hypocrite. I can let jealousy or envy affect me in ways that it shouldn't. You see, this is the whole story that Jesus was fighting these religious leaders, they were so concerned about the outside. Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat their meal? And Jesus, again, wanted to remind them and wants to remind us. It's not what's on the outside. It's what comes out of a person that makes us ugly. So where's the real danger in all this? Let me give you, kind of in closing today, let me give you like, what's the action step? What's the takeaway? Jealousy kills people. It can kill their emotion. It can kill their creativity. It can kill their being. It can kill their future. I've already mentioned that Cain killed Abel. But more than just to the inside, this rage can come on the outside. Saul lived the rest of his life trying to kill David. Let this one sink in. When King Herod heard that a new king was going to be born or had been born in his town, what did he do? He killed every single baby boy two years and younger in the hopes of the fact, if I don't know specifically who it is, we're going to get them all. You see, let's not take jealousy and envy too lightly. Because unfortunately, history tells us it kills people. And second of all, it will kill you. You see, the tragedy of all of this is far more than the objects of our jealous hate is the pain that we wreak upon ourselves because oftentimes it seems to just circle back on us. If you think jealousy and envy is only going one way, there is a boomerang effect to these kind of things. And you think that you are throwing it. You think you are getting somebody else. But I want you to know that that boomerang is going out and circling back around, and it's coming after you. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, let's look at some more biblical examples. I don't know if you're all familiar with the story of Ruth in the Bible, but God, I'm sorry, of Esther. That, that God chose her to, to get prominence with the king and somehow to save all of Israel at that point. And she had a trusted relative by the name of Mordecai. Anybody with me today? Remember some of this story? 
And so the king had this evil guy that wanted to get Mordecai and was lying about him and doing all kinds of stories to end him. And so he built this big royal gallows. And his whole plan was so that one day Mordecai would be swinging from the galleries. But guess what? The boomerang effect came into play. And that gallows that Haman built for Mordecai, guess who the first one was to try it out? Was Haman. Maybe you'll remember some so-called friends of a guy by the name of Daniel. Why does Daniel get this position? Why does Daniel get to do this? I mean, he was a slave boy not too long ago. Why does he get to sit in this position? And they were what? Jealous and envy of him. And there was no way for them to, to knock him down. The only thing they go after was is that he prayed and make a law that if you pray to anyone else, you know the story, right? And if they pray to any other deity, God, then other than our great king and ruler, they'll get thrown into where? A den of lions. And that's exactly what happened. But after all night of sleeping on a beautiful lion-skinned rug, Daniel gets up and yawns and wakes up the next morning and walks out of the den. And those guys that put that whole plan into effect, what happened? The boomerang. And all of those guys that crafted that plan, where did they end up? In the lion's den. You see, if you think your jealousy and envy is only going one way, I want to tell you today that there's a boomerang effect. So how do we defeat the giant of jealousy and envy? Well, first of all, we need to renounce that jealousy is sin. I want to tell you today that jealousy is not a personality disorder. It's not something that you inherited in your temperament. It's something that is very easily snagged in our heart. This carnal heart of ours that needs to be reborn, reshaped, renewed by the power of Christ. Not something that needs to be renewed every 10,000 miles, something that needs to be a part of our everyday life. God, create in me what? A clean heart. Create in me a spirit that is not selfish or out for one another, but wants to shine and glorify you. Some of you, I think you'd be familiar if I said a title that we give 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter. Yes? And here's one of the first things that the love chapter says. Love does not envy. Love wants nothing to do with jealousy. That was Paul's point to the Corinthian church. Listen, God gave his son so that the church of God could live and thrive and grow and be a force in our world. And yet you've thrown that all away and you've allowed your carnal nature, your ungodliness, wreck and ruin everything that Jesus came and died for. You say, Pastor, is it a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. See, where there is love, there is no envy. When we rekindle God's love in our heart, God's love then becomes so overwhelming that envy and jealousy have nowhere to live in the environment of God's great love. 
So maybe to help you today, say, Pastor, how do I rekindle? How do I, how am I assured that I can keep envy and jealousy at bay? Listen, it's going to be a constant struggle. There's still enough human flesh in us to always kind of be looking over the fence, always be comparing ourselves, those that are in our circle, what's happening with them. It's like I struggle. Why do they get all the accolades and nobody remembers me? Why are their kids always on the honor roll and my kids are taking summer school? Hello? Like, what do I do about those flashing thoughts that sometimes come into my heart? Listen, to be honest, some of us, we're not waking up all the time thinking about them, but isn't it amazing where out of the blue, sometimes we just kind of get like that passing thought. And what I want to challenge you is how you need to, you got to be honest. Is there a propensity for me to be guarded that I could be afflicted with those kind of emotions? Is there something where I continue to open my heart to let that stuff linger, to let those thoughts just kind of continue to roll in my head? I give it place at the table. I need to be honest and realize, listen, I really struggle with that. And so, God, I need your help. I need to be content in everything that you've done for me, everything that you are for me. I would say, second of all, invite the Holy Spirit to come in to your heart and into your life today. The Bible says that we set like a soldier, a, a sergeant in arms in our, in our mind, in our heart, in our mouth to say, God, I want to be pleasing in not only the things that I say, but the way that I live. And I want to be honest with my church family. I want to be honest with my family. I don't want stuff to get attached where I'm talking ill about them because of my own insecurities or challenges of the blessings that I foresee that they have and I don't. And then we ask God to fill me with agape love. Of all of the different words, the meanings of the word love in the Bible, the Greek language that the Bible was written in has multiple words for the word love that give us fuller meaning. And whenever there was a God love, it was always agape. Meaning I'm going to put you ahead of me. I'm going to believe the best no matter what anybody says about you. I'm going to keep giving and giving and giving and giving because that's what God did for me. And I hope that we will rally the wagons of real life and that we will pledge with one another. Listen, there's ways to obviously deal with issues. And I'm not saying that as a church that we wouldn't deal with issues or have struggles with one another. That's human too. But that we go about that doing it rightly. And hopefully that our prayer is, is that we keep that to an all-time low or minimum. That we can live in a spirit of unity and love with one another. But listen, it's just not going to automatically happen. Hello? We need to be people of the Spirit. Amen? People that are going to allow this God love to say, you know, rather than me thinking first about that, I'm going to say, no, that's my brother, that's my sister. I'm going to, I'm going to take that to God for a while, and I'm going to believe the best. Adrian, maybe you can come and help me as I close. The last thing that I want to say to you, and maybe just to captivate your heart for just a moment, is that without that, you see, jealousy and envy will have us doing the unthinkable. And I guess I just want to bring it down as, in one sense, as hard as I can to help us understand the reality that this is nothing to play with. And maybe the fact that, like, it's somewhere with us. Maybe it's, again, one of these things that we just don't talk about 
enough. And I'm here to tell you that it's a killer. It could be a killer to you. It could be a killer between a husband and wife, a sister to a sister, a brother to a brother, kids to their parents. It could be a killer in our church. It could cause people, right, because we're hypocrites. We want to talk a good game. We want to be pretty. But we can be ugly on the inside. And it can cause us to do the unthinkable. There were once two men. They were both seriously ill. They ended up in the same room in a great hospital. It was a small room, but large enough for just the two of them. They had two beds, two bedside lockers, and a door and a window that looked out into the world. One of the men, as part of his treatment, was allowed to sit up for one hour every afternoon so that the drainage in his lungs could be flushed out. His bed was next to the window. The other man, who had to lay on the flat of his back 24 hours a day, was kept near the door. They were grateful for the peace and privacy, the not having to be rustled by the bustle and clatter of all the things that were happening in the hospital. One of the disadvantages of their condition was is that they weren't allowed to do anything. They couldn't read, couldn't listen to the radio, couldn't watch television. They just had to keep quiet and still while this medicine and this process worked through their bodies. It was just the two of them in one room. But when no one was around, they would talk by the hour. They would share stories about one another, their wives, their children, their homes, their jobs, their hobbies, being in the war, their vacations. And every afternoon, the man who was next to the window, who got to sit up for just one hour, would call out to this new friend on the other side of the room and describe everything that he could see in the outside world that his friend could not. And for that one hour every day, that man near the door lived this life. And he would wait to hear the description about what was going on outside their room. Talking about the park in which the hospital overlooked. That there was a lake, there were ducks and swans, there were children running around throwing bread. There were sailing little model boats. There were two young lovers walking hand in hand. The trees, the flowers, games of softball, people easing back in the sunshine. There was a fine view of the skyline. And this man would sit back and listen and enjoy as if he was experiencing this moment all by himself. And then one fine afternoon, there was some sort of parade, but it struck him. Why should this guy have the bed next to the window? Why should he have all the pleasure of seeing everything that's going on? Why don't I get that chance? And the more that he tried to suppress that thought or that feeling, the more, but he couldn't. And in a few days, his heart was turning sour and hard. He should be by the window, he brooded. He couldn't even sleep, and the doctors were wondering why his condition was even getting worse. One night while he was staring at the ceiling, the man by the window suddenly woke up coughing and choking, gagging. The fluid, the congestion in his lungs was building up, and he was groping and trying to find the button to ring for the nurse, but he couldn't find it. And the entire time, this man by the door just laid flat on his back, watching, making no move. The coughing, racking, the darkness, on and on, choking. 
And then everything went silence. And the man continued to lay on the flat of his back, looking at the ceiling, doing nothing. In the morning, the nurse came in with water to give them a bath. And she discovered that during the night that the man by the window had died. They took his body away and as soon as it seemed decent enough, the man by the door asked if he could be moved closer to the window. And so they moved him and tucked him in and tried to make him quite comfortable and left him alone to be quiet and still. But the minute that everyone left, he propped himself up on one elbow painfully, laboriously trying to look out that window only to discover that the window faced a brick wall. And then it hit him. This friend, which in whom he became so jealous over, had literally been spending the last weeks and months blessing him and providing some type of ministry and time for him to enjoy. And it was the jealousy in his heart that not only destroyed him, but allowed him to do nothing as his friend went into eternity. There's a lot of truth in that story. To recognize that it's nothing to play with. It's nothing to pass off, but it's something for you and I to really ask God to examine our hearts. What would Paul say about you or me? And maybe even more, what is Jesus who has the ability to look into our hearts? You see, the game isn't about the washing of hands or who does this or who made this or who serves here or there. It's always going to be an issue of our hearts. And sometimes the boomerang effect thinks that, well, we're just throwing it out only to realize. Sometimes the things that we grope after and we want so much that unfortunately we get and we discover it's never really what I wanted. So I want to take just a moment with you this morning. I want to pray not only over you, but I would hope that today that all of us would take a moment and pray. In fact, I'll be even so bold to say that I would encourage us maybe if you've got a moment just come around the front. You see, I want to impress upon us as a church today that it's not about the outside, but it's about my heart. And if we can't be real and we can't be honest, and if we can't let God and the Holy Spirit do some work in my heart today, then maybe I'm just a pretty ugly person. And so I would challenge if you need to spend some time maybe on this particular issue or maybe in some way to say, God, maybe where I've been or some of the thought life that I've been experiencing hasn't really been what it should be. I need you to come back into my heart today. That I want to pray that with you. And if that's you today, why don't you just move from where you are? Listen, I'll be the first one to come. There's no shame in recognizing that we all have struggles. Yes, but I think there's great faith for us to say, but I don't want that in my life anymore. So maybe to help you, I'm going to pray and I'm going to step into the first circle here. And if you want to join me, do that. If you got other stuff, we're going to pray this blessing and God bless you. But if you want to say, yeah, Pastor Jim, I get it. 
And I hope that this month that there'll be some more things that you hit me between the eyes with, that you bring hard, that you bring Mike to my heart because I wanna live a life that's not a hypocrite, that I wanna know that what I believe is how I behave, amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, I ask today, Lord, in the midst of this house, maybe while others are recognizing that Pastor Jim, what you're saying is where I need to be today and I'm okay to jump in the circle and I'll join you and I'll be with you today that this is a human cause, a human condition. I'm not saying we're bad people. We're saying that God, Lord, this could be me and yet I'm believing and praying today that that's not who I want it to be. It's not a reflection. It's not a representation of who Jesus is or what Jesus has done for me. I don't want to know the story not only of the prodigal son, but I want to make sure I'm not the older brother as well. God, I'm grateful that you're there for me and that, that there's always a rescue. But I want to know that even though one time I got for all of our hearts, God, that we can be pure and holy in your sight. As David cried, Father, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so, Father, I praise that our church, that we would have the desire to live in unity, that we would not wear masks, that we would be open and honest and true before you. So, God, I pray this today in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me today over all the church this morning? And maybe we'll just make that our closing prayer today. Say, Father, God, I pray that we will make room for you in my heart today, that we will be hungering for more of you in our life. And so, Father, as I will just give this prayer to those that are in our seats, to those who are watching today online, that we're just going to keep the altars open for a while today. The worship band is prepared, just kind of a closing song that's just going to give us a moment and an atmosphere and an opportunity to make sure that my heart is right before I leave the house of God today. That God will speak to me, that God has spoken to me, and that I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord for a while. And I'm going to allow him to touch my heart today. So, Father, as I pray over this house, that I pray that we keep the unity of the Spirit. I pray that we keep hearts that are in love, not only with you, but in love with one another. I pray for those that are challenged in their families, in relationships, maybe with spouses, with children, with siblings. God, that we've let jealousy and envy rule us and break us and harm us for so long that God that we're going to take action we're going to stop being hypocrites and we're going to do what you've asked us to do and that is to live agape love that we're going to be great followers of you today so I pray God that you will speak this word and this truth into our life God that you will redeem us renew this heart today so that what comes out of it is not defiling me the work of Christ, his church, and the love that I have for those around me. So God, I pray this over all of us in Jesus' name.